Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm a 20-year-old from California. I'm a loan officer by day, podcaster on the weekends. I started this podcast back in April when I got furloughed from my job for about three months. And I was like, okay, I could sit on the couch and wait for my job to come back. Or I can go and start the podcast I've always been wanting to start, but been too scared to hit the record button for So I decided to go with the second option and it wasn't easy at first. It was very uncomfortable. I remember shaking before my first interview and thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to ask her? What if this doesn't go well? But I'm so incredibly happy that I just hit record. Even though I wasn't ready, I just said fuck it and hit record. And I think we can all use a little more of that in our life versus trying to overthink it and trying to plan it and make sure it's perfect. Just saying fuck it and starting it anyways. So that's kind of been my theory for the past year or so. And I'm so glad that I've just fully stepped into that theory. I've interviewed over 100 people since April. It's been incredible. And I've interviewed so many people from like singers to celebrity stylists to real estate investors to therapists to so many incredible people. (laughs) So many. It's just so many stories that I feel like I take away something from every person. And I can't really pick favorite ones because I really love them all. But I am so glad that I get to do this. And I'm so glad that I get to share these conversations with you guys. And my goal with a podcast is to let you know that we all go through shit shows. We all go through crazy moments and go through all these moments of why is this happening to me? What am I meant to learn from this? And to really inspire you guys to get out of your own way and just do whatever it is you want to do. And I really hope these conversations resonate with you. I would really love to connect with you on Instagram. My Instagram's the shit show of my 20s. And I would love for you to leave a review on Apple and just give me some feedback. Feel free to send me a message about any episodes you'd love to hear. Today's guest is Tracy. I love chatting with her. We go into her story from getting diagnosed with cancer at 18 and how she was able to take that experience and learn from it and grow from it. And one of the things I love is on her bio, I saw a cancer thriver. And the reason why I love that is versus saying I'm a cancer survivor and I'm just surviving this experience to be thriving from this experience. I think it's so empowering. And we go into how she wrote her book, Up Struggle, what that writing process was like for her and how we can struggle better. What are the different types of struggle? What can we do? What steps can we do to help us through our struggle and help us learn from it. She's also grown a really big community on TikTok of almost half a million followers. And we go into what's helped her grow her community on TikTok in such a short amount of time. She only started around March or April. And then she's also been able to do the Venmo challenge and she did it for Eric from Wendy's and she was able to raise over $40,000 for Eric. And we go into so many different things in this conversation. I absolutely love chatting with her. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Tracy, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. I'd love to know the backstory. Tell me what inspired you to get down to the path you have today. Tell me wherever you feel like your story really started for you. Wow. Okay. So what got me on the path I am today probably was struggle, probably my, my cancer, right? About 
let's round it up a little bit, about 20 years ago, probably 19-ish to be exact, I had cancer. And, you know, as humans, because we're human, we're not robots, we're always going to have struggles, right? And they're different. They're different person to person and all the things. But I had my ultimate struggle at such a young age. And at that point in my life, people always made comments like, you have experienced more in your life than some people like in their 50s or 60s. So I, and then I meet some people, they're like, well, I've never gone through anything hard. I'm like, oh, honey, you just wait. Cause we all, like I, I talk about it in my book, we all have an ultimate struggle. And yeah, that ultimate struggle can be replaced. Thankfully, mine has not been replaced. And I'm hoping that cancer was as hard as it gets because that was extremely, extremely hard. And I was young. So, so I'm not new to struggles. I've had them my entire life. Um, as I've gotten older and made different decisions, they kind of change, right? They, they shift a little bit, but they're always there. And I actually thought, this is how naive I was, right? I thought that, okay, as I mature, as I get older, as I gain wisdom, and I become a better person, and you know, lead from the heart, all these things, struggles will go away. Okay, so I'm just going to try and be a better person so that my struggles go away. Got it. Let's go. Did all the things, you know, matured, wisdom comes, better person, better decisions. And I'm like, why, why aren't the struggles going away? So it just kind of dawned on me. And that was my process, right? Is, oh, they're not going to go anywhere. They, they change for sure, but they're not going to go anywhere. And so why not learn to dance with them better? Why not instead, because I see it all the time, instead of being a victim, instead of woe is me and allowing my struggles to take from me and use me, why don't I take from my struggles and use them to become better and, and grow and then turn around and help others? So I know it's like, it, it's really over 20 years, right? Because without that cancer experience, I wouldn't be where I'm at because it was so life-changing. And so when people are like, how long did it take you to write your book? And how long am I, I 20 years? <laughs> like, you know, 25 years, uh, my whole life? I don't know, because the stuff that's in it, it wasn't like a five-year process. It wasn't an overnight thing. It, it just, it took a long, and I'm sure everyone's journey is different. No, not everyone is going to take, you know, we're all different. But nothing happens overnight. And so just really from that and from understanding struggles, digging into them a little bit more, wanting to know more about them, because they're not going to go anywhere, why not learn about them? That kind of led me on the path of where I'm at today. And can you go into that story of when you got diagnosed with cancer? How old were you? And how did you feel when you heard the news? Yeah, so I was actually 18. I was really young. But not only was I young, I was married because I married young. And I had a 10-month-old. And I was pregnant and a, about five, six months, just shy of my third trimester. And so I was really young. And the only understanding I had of cancer was, one, I had an uncle who passed away at that point 10 years previously. But I was young. At that point, I was like 8, 10. So I was really young, so I didn't know anything. And I knew that you went bald. I knew you did chemo and you went bald and my uncle passed away from it. That is the only understanding that I had. I remember it was even, I mean, I was so naive and didn't even understand to the point where a friend who was a doctor, he's the one who discovered it. He had a friend at MD Anderson that he graduated med school with 
And he got, he contacted her and said, hey, she's got osteosarcoma. You need to get her an ASAP. She's also pregnant. This is high risk, all the things. And so when my mom said, hey, your appointment's at MD Anderson. We're going to go there and see a doctor. I was like, MD Anderson? Mom, why am I going there? Isn't that a cancer hospital? And she, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is just where the doctor is. Like, and I, I still had no idea. I had no idea because a friend had talked to my parents because he didn't know how to tell me. Not only was he my doctor, but he, it was a personal friend. And he had never dealt with this before. Or, and I'm pretty sure it was his first cancer diagnosis. And, and so he was struggling. And so my parents actually knew about it before I knew about it. And so that's like, that's how much, how little I knew. Oh, I'm going to the cancer, cancer hospital. Well, why? Oh, that's just where the doctor is. Anybody who knows anything is going to like, huh? And it did not. I was not suspicious. I was not anything. So, you know, find out it is cancer. And because of the situation I'm in, I got the world leading doctor in my cancer, and I, which is amazing. It's a blessing, right? Start chemo and my husband leaves me. And like, that was hard. And I can sit here and talk about it now. And sometimes I get emotional and sometimes I don't. Like, you're a woman. Sometimes we're emotional. <laughs> sometimes we're not. Who knows? But it, because I can sit here and talk about it with a smile and, and everything doesn't negate like how hard it was. It was really hard for me. A young, pregnant, cancer, a baby, like husband leaves. And I'm having to deal with all of this at once. But what do you do? I had to move forward, right? And so initially, my doctors wanted me to terminate my pregnancy. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. And really dug my foot in with that when my healing and said, no, it's, it's really, it's, we're not going to do it. And it's not because any woman's rights or, you know, what I believe or faith. I just felt to my core, like in my heart, I just felt that that wasn't necessary for, for what I was dealing with and everything. And so that is why I'm like, in my heart, I don't, I don't think that's you know, what needs to happen? What else? What's another option? So the other option was, well, let's just wait until you hit your third trimester, because in your third trimester, the baby's pretty much developed, right? It's just about the baby getting bigger. And back then they didn't have any research. And that's what he told me. He's like, we have no research. I mean, this was almost 20 years ago of a woman who undergoes chemo in her first or second trimester who delivers a healthy baby. And I'm like, well, you're gonna now, you know? So I wait the three weeks and, and, and start the chemo. The husband leaves. And I only did a couple rounds of chemo while pregnant because I was almost in that, you know, third trimester. I was and I started. But then they wanted to take her as early as possible without any major complications, which was six weeks. They felt like taking her six weeks early, starting in the third trimester. She only had to go through, I think, about three three rounds of chemo with me. And so there I was as bald as Mr. Clean. And we're not we don't know what to expect. I'm thinking I'm going to give birth to an alien with five eyes. Like I am like, there's no research, right? Like there's like, there's nothing they could tell me. And I'm, so I don't know what I'm going to give birth to. I knew, I, mean, I felt like she'd be okay, but I, you know, I gave birth to a three pound, 10 ounce screaming baby girl with a head full of hair. And I just remember we all kind of looked around, like my mom was there and the doctor and my sister, and we're just all like, we're, we're kind of shocked and we're surprised because it only made sense that if I was doing chemo and I was bald, and she's getting chemo, shouldn't she be bald? Like, it, so it kind of was like, it threw us for a loop. But, you know, I recovered. I think I had, they gave me about a week off from chemo. 
And they're like, let's go. And I'm like, okay, just had a baby, but let's go. And she had to stay in the NICU for a couple of weeks just to put meat on her bones, just to get a little bit bigger. But she was really healthy. There was nothing wrong with her, just too tiny. You can't send the baby home that small. And so one more round of chemo. And then after that, I had my uh, leg surgery. It's called limb salvage surgery where they you know, trying to save the, the limb is what it is. And fortunately, I, they were able to, I have my leg. The thing with osteosarcoma is a lot of people actually lose their limb. Um, and so the fact that I got to keep my leg, keep my knee, and I'm able to do all the things and live the active lifestyle that I have, it's, it's, it's a miracle, you know? So did that. And that was a hard recovery. I mean, that was really physically and emotionally and mentally, that was tough. The thing with when you do chemo is, you know, to recover from a sickness or you cut yourself, the healing process of a body who's underdoing, undergoing chemo is a lot slower than somebody who is healthy and has a surgery or gets sick. Um, and because of that, I had to stay off of my leg for almost a year because it just, it was such an intense surgery. It just, it took that long to heal before I could actually put, start putting pressure, you know, on, on my leg. And so I was on crutches and that just became so frustrating and I lost all my independence. So it got to the point where people are always like, well, how'd you deal with it? I'm like, well, I didn't really. I mean, let's just be honest. I was young. I didn't have the tools that I have today or the support system that I have today back then, right? And so I just was dealing with all these things, you know, low blood counts and mouth sore so painful that I didn't want to eat because it was just too painful to eat. And that caused me to lose a lot of weight. It caused me to be dehydrated, which put me back at MD Anderson, you know, trying to hydrate me and all the things, you know, kidney issues, you know, in between each round, they're like, we want to hit you like every two weeks, okay, every four weeks, depending on the chemo, right? But it got to the point where I wasn't bouncing back as quick. It was taking twice as long. So that extended my entire treatment plan because now instead of hitting me every two weeks, it was every three. Now instead of every three, it's every four. And so it extended it. I mean, I just dealt with so many things. One, I think the scariest moment for me during all of that was I woke up and I had no motor skills. And I was, I knew something was wrong. And so I'm sitting at the dining room table and I'm asking my mom for pen and paper. My mom knows something is wrong. I'm not acting right. And I was able to scribble enough like motor skills. I mean, it was sloppy, and stuff, but I was able to scribble it, and she knew right away something was wrong. They rushed me to MD Anderson DR. They bring in a neurologist, and I just remember thinking, oh, crap. Like, is this the new Tracy? Like, is this permanent? Is this reversible? Like, is this, is this permanent damage? I mean, that was, I'd have to say, the scariest moment for me, and they bring in a neurologist, and, you know, as moms or grandmas, and when you're teaching your little kid, and I know you're young, but you'll, you know, when you become mom and you're teaching your kids things, you have those cute little flashcards of objects and hearts and colors. And you're like, what is this? You know, what is this? Well, that's what my doctor was doing. And I'm like, are you thinking I'm stupid? I'm not dumb. Like my brain's still functioning. Like what, what do you mean? Of course I know. I know that's a house. I know that's three birds. I know like, what are you kidding me? But I wasn't able to communicate and so, of course, we came up with a way where I could at least nod, right? And even though I couldn't speak and, and a lot of my motor skills were just gone, we were able to figure it out. And they just realized that 
I was fully intact here, right? That the chemo, they had, they had overdosed me. They didn't allow my body enough time to heal in between. And my body was, that was how, you know, everyone responds differently, right? Everyone's body will physically respond differently. And mine was responding by just trying to shut down and saying, hey, too much, too much. Thankfully, that only lasted about 24 hours. They gave me some medication to reverse the side effects, help clear the chemo, you know, get it out and everything. But that was pretty scary, you know, and then coming to all the physical pain of the surgery and having to heal from that and be on crutches. Like I, I am so transparent with people because they're like, give me the formula. How did you get through it? And I'm like, you want the truth or you want something that's going to make you feel better? Because I can give you the truth. And the truth is, is back then, now this is 20 years ago. Back then, especially being a cancer patient, I got hydrocodone, these massive pill bottles of a hundred pills. And these were like horse pills. So I don't remember the dosage, but it was a high dosage with my name all over it with, I can't even tell you how many refills I had all in my name. And being so young and not knowing how to deal with all of this that I'm dealing with, I realized quickly that those pain meds not only numbed the physical pain, but it numbed the mental and emotional pain. And so I'm like, when people are like, how'd you get through? I'm like, that's how I got through it. I was too young. I didn't have the tools or resources that I do now. Um, I mean, of course, love and all the things, but that was how I could just not lose my crap, right? <laughs> and just get through the days was pain meds. And I got to the point where I knew it wasn't okay. And, um, and I didn't want to continue down that path because I knew I knew it could get really bad really ugly quick and so I did go to my doctor and I was like hey I'm addicted to these pain meds it's not okay what can we do and I love my doctor I actually have a little crush on him he's like in his 60s or 70s but he's a cute old man and he just has a special place in my heart and he was like girl I don't care I'm just trying to save your life and I was like, okay, I get that, right? Like big picture. We're trying to put out a forest fire here. Let's focus on that before we focus on a little bush burning, right? And so I got that. But me being me, I'm like, I get that. And thank you for not judging me because it totally felt like he was not judging me. Like, but it still bothers me. There's something we can do. What can we do about it? And he's like, okay, okay. So he just switched my pain meds to something that was less addicting, a lower dose. I switched over to that. I don't remember how long I was on it, but then I, I slowly winged myself off of it. And by the time I was done with all the treatments and stuff, I had winged myself off the pain meds. So, I mean, I just dealt with so many things at such a young age. I had to grow up really quick. I had to mature really quick. I had to make really tough decisions that most 18 year olds, they're going to prom, right? And here I am life and death and stuff. And so I got to the point where my body was shutting down. And I just knew in my heart that if I kept doing chemo, like I was going to die. The chemo was slowly killing me and I could just feel it to my bones. And I just remember thinking about my uncle and what someone had said in the family about it was a chemo that, that killed my uncle, right? And that stuck with me. And I could not get that out of my head that if I continue on, I'm going to have the same outcome as my uncle. And so I had to make another tough decision. Do I continue on with chemo? And, and like surely die, because I knew without a doubt I was going to die, you know, or do I quit chemo and risk the cancer coming back? Well, I decided after about 14 months, I went to my doctor and I said, I'm done. I am done with chemo. I cannot do it anymore. It's killing me. And I, I feel like I'm slowly dying. And I think that was about two, two to 
three rounds of chemo early. But when I went to my doctor, he's like, you know, you're not totally crazy. Like he, he obviously was there the whole time seeing all the stuff I was going through, looking at all the numbers, all the complications. And he's like, I've actually treated you a little bit longer than most people. So you're not terribly crazy to quit. And I'm like, oh, well, that would have been nice to know. That probably would have helped me in making that decision a little bit easier. And so I quit chemo. And, you know, I know I have had to develop confidence that just because a doctor has a white coat does not mean they know everything. And if anything, I know my body better. I may not have the terminology. I may not have the understanding, but I really believe that our bodies speak to us and we just have to learn how to listen. And I think the more we listen to that feedback our body gives, the more confident we become and the easier it is to listen. And I've done that for almost 20 years and I have no problem telling a doctor, no, that's just not going to work. Right. Or going and getting a second, third, fourth, fifth, eight opinions. If I have to, and I have, if I just don't agree because something is telling me in my heart, even though I don't know what, and I can't explain it, that there's that voice that says that's not right. And so I just keep digging until I can find something that resonates. And so I don't advocate for people to just go against their doctors just to go against, right? And buck up and be prideful. Like that's not what I did. But I am a huge advocate for listen to your heart, listen to your body. You know, we all call it different things, whether it's your spirit, your gut, your intuition, the universe. Like to me, it's all the same. We just kind of label it differently. And I like to say my heart because it just feels like it's in my chest somewhere and it's a softer feeling and it's like it's something I can't kick. It's not like screaming at me, but it's this soft voice that I can't kick and I can't get rid of it. It's always there. And so I just say my heart. And so I've learned over the last 20 years, especially over the last couple of years, I just have, I have so many stories where I said no to a doctor, where he advised something. And I was like, thank you for your advice, but the final decision rests on my shoulders and I will let you know what I decide, right? And I see it all the time. So many people just bow down and take what doctors have to say and they run with it and they never question. And I'm like, you guys have got to start learning to question, not to, to be difficult, but why? Like have, let the doctor, if they're a good doctor, should take the time to explain why they came to that conclusion and then work with the patient to kind of come to an understanding. And that's where I'm at. And I know not, not all doctors appreciate patients like that, but I know for me, I have found a good doctor when they trust me and they respect me knowing that I know my body better and all the things that I've been through. I mean, I went through a cancer scare in January. It was a misdiagnosis and I had something on my heart that said, Tracy, that's wrong. Go get a second opinion. And of course, I think like most people were like, oh, stop making a big deal of it. You're just being dramatic and you're overthinking it. And it's only because you've had cancer before. Like, like I had all of these thoughts and I think that's human, right? But I had that feeling that it's, she's not right. She's, and whether it's cancer or not, like I didn't know, but just that that diagnosis she gave me was wrong. I went and got a second opinion. This doctor listened to me and my concerns and took it seriously. So she ran the correct test instead of just writing it off. And sure enough, I had a borderline ovarian tumor, right, that had to have surgery and removed my, one of my ovaries and, and I have to be followed for five years by MD Anderson because it can come back as cancer. And that was only because I have learned to listen to my heart, you know, and it's not just medically, like I have so many stories like that. 
And so I build up that confidence, but just in life, just with Eric, right? That was put on my heart, Eric, the Wendy's guy. And so I have become such a huge heart girl, you know? And I, I really like, when I really just want to press that with people. Like, just listen to your heart. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we don't know why we're supposed to, but I have learned that if we just follow that, that whisper, that intuition, the spirit, what's on your heart, I personally have never been led down the wrong path. It's always turned out, even if it didn't turn out the way I thought it would, it turned out way better than I thought it would. And so that is something that I just try and press with people. And I just have all these stories to share why and, 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 and stuff like that. But I think it's really important that we do that, you know? And for someone who's having maybe trouble learning to listen to their heart, what advice would you give them? You just have to start listening. That's the only way to really build the confidence, right? And I remember what is before, like, guy, a while back, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I remember being so frustrated because I'm like, okay, is this in my head? Is it this? Is it that? And then I would almost not do anything because I was paralyzed from the fear of even making a decision or a choice. And I just learned you just have to move forward. You just have to make a decision. And you start, you kind of start to learn, oh, maybe so that feeling was more my head or that maybe that was more pride or maybe that was more ego or maybe that was more wishful thinking and really pushing what I want. So I think it's different for everyone. And it's just trial and error, right? Trial and error. That is how I learned. And, I, and it's taken so many years. I'm just at a point where it's like, I trust, I, I trust myself now. And I think that is so hard for so many people, but especially women, especially if you've been burned or all these things in relationships, you, you start to not trust yourself anymore. And so we've got to get back to trusting ourselves to move forward. But you just trial and error. And I loved in your bio how you put cancer thriver. And I was wondering, have you always just been in that mindset or what did you do to shift into this is going to be something I'm going to thrive from? Yeah. So, you know, we were always called cancer survivors and I am a, someone who is huge with words like wordplay and, and what the, the meaning, the words I choose to use, the meaning they have. And so I just never liked, there's just a couple of words I really dislike, but say I'm a cancer survivor, just kind of like I'm surviving it, right? I'm just, I'm surviving. And then, you know, a few years ago, I had someone say that was a cancer survivor, right? She's like, actually, Tracy, we call ourselves cancer survivors. I was like, oh, I like that. And when, and I don't know her meaning, she didn't explain it. But when I sat and thought about it, I'm like, that's two totally different things, right? Is, are you just surviving it? Because I really think if, if we label ourselves, we're going to live up to that, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we label, label ourselves as a victim, we're going to act as if we're a victim, right? And so I'm not a victim of cancer and I'm not just surviving it. Like I am thriving after cancer. And I do believe there are stages, like when it comes to cancer, where, you know, you're, you're surviving, and, and then you can kind of turn, you know, mold into that thriver, because that was for me, because for a while, I was just surviving, right, and trying to hang on. But I think it's really important that we are, we are careful what label, you know, we put on ourselves, because we really, that's what we're going to live up to. And I don't want to just be a survivor of anything, you know, I want to thrive. Mm. I'd love to know the inspiration behind your book, up struggle. How did you come up with the name, and how has the writing process been like for you? So, up struggle came through. Well, initially, because I think I was going to call it "Changed Forever," 
forever. And I was like, okay. And that was taken. I was like forever changed. And that was taken. And you really don't want a book title. Like this is just all the truth of it. You don't really want a book, a book title that's already out there. Cause when someone searches it, it's like, what book is hers? Right. And I am someone who makes up her own words. And I'm okay with that. Uh, it's a kind of a joke between me and my husband is, oh, here she goes making up her words. Or I'll put two words together and make it one. And I didn't mean, to. it's just something I do. It's part of my personality. And so I was trying to think of something. And it's kind of like I was thinking of level up, but I feel like that's so overused. And, and, so, and, and so my husband was like, well, what about you just call it struggle up? And I'm like, I don't know. What about up struggle? I'm like, up struggle has a ring. And it's kind of like leveling up, but it's up struggle, right? Learn to up struggle, struggle better. And that's really what it means is up struggle. Everyone struggles. Some just do it better. So I've even given it its own definition and everything. But that's kind of my, like my, the process that I went through to come up with it was I wanted something different. I wanted something unique. I wanted something that maybe made people go, huh? Well, that's different. I wonder what it means. Like, I, I, I think I get it, but what does upstruggle mean? So it's, it's not a word. You're not going to find in the dictionary. I created it. And the writing process, again, people were like, so like, how long did it take you to write your book? And I'm like, 20 years, <laughs> you know, because without all of the experiences and I think I even have a story in there from when I was 15, so that's 25 plus years without all of the things I have gone through. I would not have been able to put it in the book. And so, you know, that took a long time, but writing it, probably actually writing it uh, five years only because the way I did it was, it, it really is a journey. It's a process is when you're writing a book, you try to think about what is it you're passionate about? What is it you just tend to write about? And I realized there were two topics I tend to write about on social media, struggles and marriage feedback, right? That's feedback that, and without even realizing it, when I went and dug through everything, I'm like, there's two themes. There's two themes in my writing, marriage and struggle, separate. They don't have to be just saying they're separate. And, and so I took some of my old posts and I put them in my book. I rearranged them. I added, or maybe I took away and I've been writing consistently for five years. Now, actually putting the book together, adding more to it. Some people are floored, but that took me three or four months to like put together, edit, do the cover, write the intro. I mean, all the things that I had to do. And I know it sounds kind of fast, but I was going through that cancer scare. And so I was going through that. And the only thing that kept me from not losing my crap was I was head down in my book on my computer, writing it, organizing it to keep me distracted, right? From the possibility of, of having cancer again. And so that was that it's really interesting because I open my book with the first chapter of my cancer from when I was really young. And my last chapter is I'm writing it as I'm going through it. Right. Which is so it's, it's really neat how it all, how it all came to. And I talk about how, like I knew my formula worked because because I use it and it works. And I'm not saying like every last bit of it's going to work for everyone, but I do believe there are nuggets that everybody can actually take from it. Whether they change it or, or make it their own, there's stuff for everybody for sure. But when I was writing it and having, I was pretty much forced to use my own formula that I was sharing in my book, which only solidified my belief in it and that it really works. So it's, such a, it was such a long journey, you know, but I was able to get it pretty much put together really quick. 
just because it helped me get through what I was going through. You know, having something positive to focus on helped me. And how can we struggle better? Well, a lot of it's focus. And then I tell people that, like one, understanding that, right? So I feel like understanding struggles is a mindset. And if we're not going to adopt the mindset that struggles are for us, not against us, it's just not going to work, right? It's a belief. It's a belief that struggles are not the enemy. It's a belief that, okay, struggles are growth opportunities in disguise. Struggles are going to make me stronger. Struggles are going to help me grow. I can serve more people. So if we don't have a relationship with struggles like that, if we don't believe, have the belief, perspective, and mindset that struggles are actually for our benefit, for our gain, like that's where it has to start. It has to start there. And then, you know, we can do the whole formula and the steps and stuff. So I talk about them in my book that like, you have to adopt that mindset, right? You have to adopt that because that's going to affect how we move forward. That's going to affect how we deal with them. That's going to affect everything about our belief and how we deal with struggle. So it has to start in the mindset. But in the book, I talk about, you know, how I discovered through research, there were three universal struggles. And it's really important to know which struggle you're dealing with, because depending on which struggle you're dealing with, we're going to approach it a little bit differently. And those three, the first one I call self, means self-inflicted pain by one's own choices. That, that was a lot of my struggle when I was younger. I was just making poor decisions, which I was bringing, you know, pain and, and inflicting pain on myself. And I feel like that's a hard one for people to admit, because it's sometimes easier to point the finger and woe is me and you did me wrong and then we don't have to take accountability or responsibility for anything, right? But the first, that's self. The second one I call others means pain inflicted on you due to someone else's actions, right? Now that's legit. That's a real thing. Let's say a drunk driver gets behind the car and they, killed, they kill your loved one. That person inflicted pain on you from their choice, right? That is a true thing. But I sometimes I see people wanting to put most of their struggles in that category. And I really just don't believe they fall in that category. And, and, and then I tell people, well, if, if you think most of your struggles fall in that category, why are you choosing to hang out with people who cause you so much pain? That is a choice that we are choosing. So that's not the other person's fault because we're allowing it, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third one I call life, meaning pain inflicted on you at no one's fault, like my cancer. I didn't cause it. My mom didn't cause it. Nobody caused it. There's no one to blame. It's just kind of part of life. I'm from Houston, Texas. And so Hurricane Harvey, like nobody said, hey, let's cause a hurricane and go destroy, you know, a lot so much of Houston. It's just, it's part of life. It just happens. There's no one to, there's no one to blame for it. And so with those ones, it's like, just, you just got to roll with the punches, right? But knowing which universal struggle we're dealing with is so important to moving forward on dealing with it. Um, and simple questions like, did I bring this upon myself? And if so, what can I do differently moving forward? It's a simple question. It's a hard one I've noticed for a lot of people to ask is, did I bring this upon myself? And what can I do? If so, what can I do different moving forward? And it's not that I'm saying we need to learn how to avoid struggle because like you just can't avoid all struggle. Can we avoid certain struggles? Absolutely by our choices. But I'm not saying learn to avoid all struggle because that's just not, that's impossible. We're human. But asking ourselves that question and knowing if, if we caused it ourselves, we can make better choices. Like we don't have, we can avoid 
that kind of struggle. And so the second one is, did someone else bring this upon me? And if so, what actions are needed? And for that one, when it's kind of somebody else, I've learned there's a couple of things that are needed. One, we need to have a conversation with them and we need to let them know what is and isn't acceptable in our life. We need to set boundaries, right? Like I, I was once told that clear equals love. So often we get upset because someone steps over a boundary that maybe we think is common sense, but we never told them it was a boundary. And then we're all upset, right? And so we have to be willing to set boundaries. And then sometimes I've learned that loving people from a distance is the best, right? I mean, they're friends. First of all, there's no excuse. We choose our friends. But family, I get a little different, right? We don't choose our family. Um, and so some family, like maybe people who are negative and they always jab and they gossip and they just pull you down. They just have that negative energy. Like they're not a bad person, right? They're not a terrible person or anything. They're just unpleasant to be around. Those people, we just, I'll see you at Christmas for two hours and then I'll see you next year at Christmas for two hours, right? Now I get there's some family members that it really there needs, just needs to be a clean cut because of what they're doing or, or the pain, right? And that's like, we all have to kind of put that, decide where our boundaries are and stuff. And then life, right? We can't control it. We can't control, nobody can control it happening, but we do have control over how we respond and how we react to that struggle. And so you can kind of see how, like you have to know which universal struggle you're dealing with so that you can kind of approach it a little bit differently. Um, and so for my, my um, you know, with my cancer, I call that my ultimate struggle. And I tell people, everybody has an ultimate struggle. And it's a really important that we are able to identify that ultimate struggle. Because for me, like when I went through that cancer scare in January, I remember thinking, I've done it before. <clears throat> I can do it again. Do I want to? No. Do I think my body can handle it? Probably not a lot of chemo because I have stage three kidney disease, which is caused from the chemo, right? And so like, how is, how, and that was a lot of fear I was in for about a week is like, how am I going to do this? Like my kidneys won't, won't last another cancer, you know, diagnosis. But then I have, when I was going through that, I, I had to grab like, because I was putting this all together, right? I was kind of putting all these questions and the universal struggles and, and putting it together in, in like one formula to do what made sense and it, and it flowed because I just knew the things I was doing, but I had to kind of put it into a rhyme and reason and a flow. And I'll share those with you. I just call them the seven reminders because I, I think we know these things. They're very simple, very basic. It's not, nothing complex. We just forget. And we forget when we're struggling. And so we just need to remember them. And the first one is you're not meant to go through this alone. Who are you leaning on? that is helping you get through it. Oftentimes when we're struggling, I think it's, it's, it's that human nature in us that we isolate ourselves. We, we, we isolate, we pull back, we stop calling friends, we stop going out. There's shame, there's fear. We think nobody's going to understand. We think all these things, right? And I just believe that we're not meant to go through struggles alone. And I'm like, first of all, do not go to anybody and everybody when you're struggling because that is the wrong approach. Do not get on social media and whine and complain because it's not cute. It's not sexy. And are you actually getting anywhere by whining and complaining on social media? No. As I tell people, who do you trust? Which if you think about it, it's not, that circle is pretty tight. 
on the people we trust. That's a pretty tight circle. Those are the people we go to, whether it's a parent, whether it's a church leader, a therapist, a good friend, the people we trust and we know they love us. We want to go to them and they want to help us. I know when I was going through that thing in January, my husband was out of town when, and, um, reception was bad and I didn't want to scare him and so I just didn't say anything and so I was kind of alone for a few days I'm like oh crap the next best person is my mom that's you know she doesn't make me feel as good as my husband or can't be there for me like he is but she's the next best person and my mom has is got a lot going on in, in raising grandkids and I remember thinking oh she's too busy like she doesn't have time I don't want to stress her I don't want to add anything else to her plate and th that's just like the story we tell ourselves and and it's just not true you know and I tell people how do you feel when someone that you care about comes and confides in you and and just pours their heart out to you I don't judge them I feel honored I'm like oh my gosh like that's how you feel about me like you trust me that you're going to come to me and confide in me it's, it's kind of an honor right and so I think we just need to remember that when we're starting to, when we're feeling like, I don't want to burden them. I don't want to this, the shame, the fear, all this stuff. We just got to get over ourselves. I mean, I just got to go talk to someone who, who we trust. So that's number one. Number two is do something right now to lift your spirit. So this will be different person to person because we're all different. But I talk about things like exercise. Okay. I do believe that exercise is actually for everybody. It's the type of exercise, right? If you have an injury and you can't do CrossFit, okay, could you swim? You know, you know what I mean? And so there's really no excuse. I've got a girl at my gym, because I actually teach group fitness as well, who is really overweight, who shows up in a wheelchair, who cannot do nearly even half of what other people do, but she still shows up and does something. Something is better than nothing. And I just don't think there's any excuse, right? Just, yeah, like it, do what you enjoy. There's, there's so many things, spin and Zumba and Pilates and yoga and strength training and all kinds of good stuff. So exercise, I do believe it's for everyone. Just pick what you, you love, even just going for a walk. If the whole gym and the, all that thing is not your jam, you can't go for a 20, 30 minute walk with your dog or your spouse or your friend or rollerblading. I just got rollerblades. My husband bought them for me a few weeks ago. So hopefully I don't die or break anything, but I want to try that, you know, and see how I enjoy that. And um, music, music really affects us. And so I love country music and I love KSEJ, which is, is modern Christian music. And, you know, this Christian music that I'm talking about is not, oh my gosh, put me to sleep. It's not lullabies. There was this one time my husband got in my car and I blared my music. I'm a group fitness instructor. I love loud music. And so in the car, I blare it. And I'm most of the time in the car, I listen to either a podcast or KSDJ. He gets in the car, <clears throat> my music's blaring. And he's like, oh my gosh, like, what are you listening to? Because it like it, the beat was so hard and just dropping that it sounded like rap, but the lyrics were about grace and love and all these things. And I was like, whoa, do not judge. Do not be so quick to judge. Listen to the lyrics, buddy boy. This is Christian music. And so like, yeah, I, what we feed our, our, our brain matters. Do I think people should listen to music that's talking about degrading women and, and sex and drugs and cussing and just disrespect? No, I don't think anyone should listen to that stuff. So it's what, what lifts your 
spirit. And I just don't see how the grading music lifts your spirit because you can go listen to, if you just need that hard beat, there's clean music out there that has the same hard beat that will lift your spirit. So whatever music that is, good lifting. I like to make my bed. Now I'll admit I've been slacking lately, but something that kind of just sets my day up is there's something about a made bed that just, you know, brightens my day. Uh, like I said, podcasts. I listen to podcasts. Uh, I do podcasts. I read books. Just that's what makes me feel better when I'm in a funk or I'm feeling down. And, it, and it'll be a little different person to person, but we have to know, and I talk about it in my book, like be able to identify. I think I even give space for people to write down, be able to identify the things that you can do that will lift your spirit. Now, when I go out speaking, sometimes I, I like to ask that as a question to the audience. Like I literally ask them and it's, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's ice cream and that's fine. Right. And sometimes it's that trip to, you know, that trip to Hawaii. And I'm like, and those are great. But I always tell people, you don't need to have the trip to Hawaii. You don't need the big expense of this and that to feel better. I'm talking about those things that you can do every day. You know what I mean? Like just, and start stacking them. So the small things. So do something, lift your spirit. Number three, this is for you, not against you if you choose. So lean in and search for the lesson it has to offer. Again, that just is a kind of a mindset that it's not, it's not happening to us, right? It's, it's really happening for us if we choose to see it that way. We have to choose to see it that way. And we have to put pride and ego aside to learn a lesson. Pride and ego, if, if, if we're leading with that in life, especially when we're struggling and we're pointing the finger and all the things, we are not going to learn the lessons we need to learn. And I don't need to tell you what you need to learn. You don't need to tell me because I, I really, truly believe deep down inside, we all know maybe the lessons we need to learn or the things we need to work on, right? So nobody needs to tell somebody else that. So just lean into it. And number four, this will make you stronger. Put that on repeat. Like sometimes I am struggling, like with the cancer scare in January, that, that was a, probably this year. That was probably my biggest struggle, like this year. And I, and I've, and it's been a, you know, it's been a pretty tough year for a lot of people. And I dealt with a lot of things, but this year that was probably my toughest. And so I remember thinking, I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know. I don't know anything, but if I lean into it, this will make me stronger. And so I literally just put that on repeat. I didn't believe it at first because how, like I couldn't see it, but I kept telling myself that this will make you stronger. This will make you stronger until I started to feel better. And then I could actually see where it did make me stronger. And I've added this story, you know, to my vault of stories that I can share. I have helped other women when I was in it because I'm very transparent and open on social media. So I was sharing all of this as I was going through it. And I had one friend who she was ignoring some of the same symptoms and she went in and she had to have the same surgery. You know what I mean? And so it was just, we have to, you know, just this will make me stronger. This will make me stronger, you know? So uh, whether you believe it or not, or you, you see it right away, I really believe that it will, especially when we look for that lesson. When we look for that lesson, the growth comes, and I believe we're stronger from it. Number five, remember that one time you got through, you got this. So that goes back to the ultimate struggle, where I, why I think, and I'm pretty sure that's in my book too, is I'm like, write down your cancer. I call it, you know, I'm, in, I'm putting cancer, because I think we all have a cancer. And it's so important to know it, not to, not to like relive it, or you know what I mean, but to know it so that when we're struggling, 
we can say, oh yeah, well, I've been through cancer and divorce and I was pregnant. I'm pretty sure I can deal with this, right? So just know your ultimate struggle. It really helps. At number six, focus on a solution to the struggle. So because I believe that focus matters, I believe what we focus on grows. And so oftentimes you have people who all only see the struggle. They only see the struggle. They only focus on that. And so maybe what started off small to them, right? It started off as a small struggle to them. They're putting so much laser focus on it. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's like, what is the purpose of that? Are, are, you, are you accomplishing anything? Are we achieving anything? Are we moving forward? We're not when we do that. So if we can, yes, acknowledge we're human, acknowledge that you're struggling. Absolutely acknowledge this sucks. That's okay to say this sucks, you know? Acknowledge it, honor that. But after we do that, let's now shift our focus to a solution. And that's what I do, just focus on the solution because, again, what we focus on grows. So even if we don't see it right away, if we just keep focusing on trying to find a solution to the struggle, eventually we're going to find it. And I just think that one feels better and it moves us forward. And then number seven, which is one of my favorites, is use what you went through to help someone get through. That's kind of what I do now as a speaker uh, when I'm guesting on podcasts, right? I've been through it. I've learned some stuff. And now I'm helping other people. And it doesn't have to be the same struggle, right? Because I think the formula is pretty universal. You can use it for all kinds of struggles. But now I'm sharing that. Now I'm helping people get through their things because I've been there before. And I think that's really important that we do that. I think it's really selfish that when we learn knowledge or, or we, we gain wisdom and all the things to just hoard it and keep it to ourselves. I think that we should, we should then turn around and help somebody else. So those are the seven reminders. And the simple formula is really just this struggle plus reflection equals a lesson. Lesson plus application equals growth. Growth just simply means we're progressing as humans. And progress, for me and everyone I know, it's progress. That's where we find the happiness, right? Perfection doesn't exist. It's not a thing. It's going to cause misery. It's the progress we make that is where that happiness and that joy comes in. And so I tell people, well, actually, if you work your, if you work the formula, you work your struggle, you use these steps. I just laid out step by step. Struggle equals happiness when we work it. So that's really the formula right there um, that I share with people. Mm. I'd love to go into how to get the opportunity to write for Love What Matters. And what are some of your favorite pieces that you've read, uh, written for them? Yeah, so I, knowing that I wanted to get more into speaking and writing and all the things, I just, so I've shared a lot of my life on social media, but I've noticed, and I'm really big into feedback. I'm, I'm always kind of looking for that feedback on, on, on how people react. I noticed that when I shared my cancer story, People were just drawn to it more than any other story that I would share just on social media, just with friends and family, right? And how Love What Matters works is they like people to submit stories. So knowing that I was going to turn my story into a talk, into a book, I just kind of started, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this story or my, my story, my cancer story. I'm going to submit it to Love What Matters and we'll see. Like, I didn't know if they would like it or anything, right? Well, the guy reaches out to me that I guess got my story and he's like, we love it. We, we want to run it, but 
would you also consider being a contributing writer for our website? And I was just blown away. And I'm like, absolutely. But for some reason, like people just love my cancer story, you know? And so I know that he loved it. And I'm sure the, at least a little bit of the way I wrote, how I could actually tap into emotion, which is really important. You have to be able to tap into that and take people on a journey because it's a story. He asked me, and I know not everyone gets asked. People just submit a story and they share it. But there are at least a couple of people that I'm aware of that I, I see there's like, I see different stories. And that's how you know they're probably a contributing writer for them. And so that's how it started. And that was about a year, maybe longer. I don't remember when that happened, about a year or so ago. And that's probably one of my favorite pieces. I've written it probably, I don't even know, nine, seven or nine, you know, stories and articles or whatever for them so far. But that one, and probably when my brother-in-law passed away, I can't remember because I've written for a different white website as well. So sometimes I'm like, crap, did I write for that one? Was it, or was it that one? Or was it this one? But probably when my brother passed away, I know I wrote that one for him. My cancer story. I don't know. Maybe those two, those are the two that just kind of come to mind, but there's definitely more, you know, and the, and the thing is they don't, they do not publish every single one. They have probably published out of everything that I submitted uh, they've probably published a good 80, 85%, maybe 85% of my stories. So there are some that, that maybe just they didn't think would resonate with people, you know, and so they, they didn't publish them. I mean, that's fine. So it's not just whatever I submit, they just publish, right? They, they, they read it, they go through it and stuff. So probably those two though. And what inspired you to get into TikTok? Ooh, quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody else, right? I was actually just talking to someone about this. I tend to be someone who, like, if someone badmouths somebody else that maybe I'm fixing to go have lunch with or I just met, like, I might be, I might, okay, thank you. I appreciate you sharing that with me. But that is not going to determine how I see them. That is not going, that's their relationship. So I always give people a chance. Now, you screw me, you prove that person right, we're done, right? But I, I, it's really important to me that I don't do that. And I, I develop my own opinion. And that's just kind of how I am. And so with TikTok, it was the same thing. TikTok was the bad friend. TikTok was the evil friend. TikTok was something you need to stay away from because it's terrible, it's the devil, like whatever, right, child? So, so many people were saying how bad TikTok was. And I did not know anything. I'm like, whatever, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, like I'm, I'm doing all these things, I don't even have time for it, it's not a big deal. But then quarantine hits and I'm like, well, I'm kind of bored. And my kids want to be on it and they're always talking about it. So maybe I should get on it just and have fun with them and just see what it's like. And so... I realized I just wanted to develop my own opinion about it. If it's bad, fine, I'll get off. But at least I know for myself now, instead of taking everyone else's opinion. And so I kind of realized that when it comes to Facebook and Instagram, it's kind of like, you know, you hear people say, well, that's bad, that's bad, or it's good. It's like, no, it's what you choose it to be. It's how you use it, right? If I were to use my social medias to bully and be mean and spread hate, well, no wonder people are going to think that it's bad. But that's not how I use it. Are there bullies? Are there mean people? Absolutely. And sometimes I think it might be a little bit worse on TikTok because the way their platform is and it's ran a little bit differently. But you have to be able to, to deal with that. You know, what, what 
sometimes that stuff just comes along. So really that's where it was born. And I just, I did well over there. And I knew early on, like I even did a video on Facebook. I went live on Facebook just probably weeks after joining. And I told people all the reasons why they should get on TikTok. And I remember telling even some speaker friends, I'm like, you want to reach people, especially if your audience is, is youth and you want to be an example. And let's say TikTok is so bad, then why not get on there and be an example to those people what kindness looks like? So I just knew early on it was going to be kind of my, my thing. It, I did well from from day one, video one. But that's how I looked at it. Okay, everyone says it's bad. If it's so bad, these people must be starting for something good, something positive. And I think it's true. I think people are maybe a little bit more on TikTok. And so that's how I got started. I, I was having fun. I was doing fun videos with my kids. But I was also doing videos that were inspiring and adding value pretty quickly on again, my, my cancer story, I shared it in a video. And that was my first uh, video that went viral, right? Feedback. It went viral on the, on the Love What Matters. It's my, my best article that's done the, the best. And so that was my first video within weeks. And I went viral. And I've had multiple videos do that as well. But so I just, I've just developed, I've created a community of, of amazing people over there. And so I, I, I don't know, I love it. I think people should get on. And I think it's going to be what you make it. It's going to be what we look for. It's going to be whatever we put out there and what we focus on. I do see creators over there and it breaks my heart because they focus on all of the negativity. They focus on the few comments that are mean. Now I have almost half a million people in my community over there. And I was checking the other day. I only have 20, 25 people that I have blocked out of half a million. Okay. And that's kind of the ratio. I don't know what the actual ratio is, but that's what we're talking about here. From the negative to the positive, everyone else is loving, kind, and supportive, except for maybe those 20, 25 I had to block because you're just mean and I ain't going to fuck with it. So it's just crazy how as humans, that is 0.00 something percent of my community, right? Of people I've had to block so far. And why do we focus on that? Why do we focus on such a small number and we fail to see half a million people who, who love us, who enjoy us, who are supporting us? Again, focus matters. If all we can focus on are those 20, 25 people out of almost half a million, that becomes huge. And so I see all these creators leaving TikTok or taking breaks and having to announce it publicly. Publicly, I see them calling them out, putting their comment in their video and, and, and lashing back out. And I'm like, do you, not, do you not see what you just did? One, you gave the screaming toddler who's throwing a tantrum attention so they're going to keep throwing the tantrum, knowing that you're going to keep giving them attention. I'm just not about that. And you're keeping that negative energy going, right? I just think there's a better way to deal with it. Why not call out the, the positive comments? Why not spend your energy responding to those people? Give them, your supporters, the people who actually love and care for you, give them your time and attention. Not this 0.00025% of your community or people you've had to block. And so I think there definitely needs to be a little bit of a shift over there. And 
some creators over there need to have a smack on the hand for sure because they're they're not adding they're they're adding to the problem they're not taking away but overall I love it I've had a great experience over there and I've only been over there for about seven months is there anything that you noticed helped your videos go viral yeah being authentic and having fun now nobody wants to watch somebody like and I know your audience can't see but if I'm like like this is boring right and so this is something I have lived by for about five years is I do not post to social media if my energy is bad, if it's whining, if it's complaining, if it's negative. I don't do it because that's pulling people down. And I am all about adding value. So even doing a video of me having fun, I'm adding value because I made someone smile, right? I made someone start their day off good. And these are comments that I've gotten, right? And so that is adding value. Um, and so I've noticed videos with my husband. People love me and my husband together. Those do well. Dancing videos do well. And some other ones. I, I kind of keep it to stuff like that that does really well over there. Because again, I believe in feedback. I can see what does well. And I'll listen to feedback. But I still need to be authentic and true to who I am, right? I can't just do what they want where they control me, but I'm really big into feedback. And if I'm truly there for them and to add value, I need to find that happy medium where it's like, okay, having fun with my kids or my husband, that's staying true to me. And I see that you like that. Maybe I'll do more of that. Mm -hmm. Right. So definitely people who are authentic, people are like always asking me, how did you, how did you get such a big, you know, community and how did you this and how'd you that? I'm like, I got one tip. And if you can't even do this, Forget about it. And I always tell people, learn to get over your damn self. Because we get in our head and we're like, well, they're not going to like that. And what are they going to think about me? And I don't want to be smiling. RBF, RBF, get over RBF. RBF is not cute, right? Like smile more. And so I'm like, if you can't get out of your head and get over your damn self, just forget it. You're not going to grow. Because I can see it. I can see People can look at a video and they can tell when someone's uncomfortable. They may not know why or, or what's going on, but body language and all the things tell. So I'm like, get over yourself, have fun. I did a podcast with a, a friend the other day and she, one of the questions she wanted to know was, can you build a TikTok account? Can you build a community and all the things and not dance? And I said, oh, yeah, like, totally. You could get on there and just add bit like business tips. People do it, right? Or TikTok tips or motivational. Like, that's all you do and you can build it for sure. But I said, because I could tell the way she asked it. And I said, but what's wrong with dance? Why can't you dance? Like, did you not dance as a little kid? Like, we all, to some degree, as, as little girls, because she was like a woman, we loved dancing. And then we grow up and society tells us we're not good or we're comparing, or we need to get a real, a, a real job, a real, a, you know, a career that's going to pay the bills, all these things that, you know, are told to us. And it was really neat as we were talking, she's like, yeah, like, she's just afraid. She wasn't, she was in her head. Get over your damn self and dance. What is wrong with that? Now, of course, yes, you can build a TikTok account over there without it. But when you're trying to avoid it, how about we dig deeper and ask ourselves, why are you so uncomfortable being on video dancing, right? Mm -hmm. And normally that comes from an insecurity, confidence, and all those things. But then feedback, let's work on that so that we can be more confident in our videos and so we can have more 
fun, right? Dancing is fun for everybody, no matter what style. I mean, I don't know if you've seen my stuff, but when I dance, there's no names to my moves. They're just Tracy's moves. Because I don't care. I'm not trying to do, I mean, I have fun videos where people are trying to show me moves and I look like an absolute fool because I'm trying to mimic the move and I just can't do that. But I mean, I don't let that stop me. I know music, I know beats, and I know how to move to beats, and I know when it's going to shift and drop and all the things. So I just let my body move to the, to the beat of the music. So I think that absolutely, if you want to build a business or whatever, you can do it. But people love over there, people love dancing videos. Mm-hmm. Dance, have fun, get over yourself, be authentic, and just show up. You got, we have to show up. One thing I see is when these creators leave, you've left your community. Whether they think that they're, they're telling those people that or not, that's, what, that's what's happening. When an influencer or creator says, I'm leaving or I need a break, and they're gone for a month or they're gone for two months. First of all, things, things are always moving. They've moved on to somebody else. Because you're gone, they're going to go find somebody else to follow. And you're losing people. But you're losing their trust. You're not showing up for them anymore. And if people think they can come back in a month, after being gone and losing their trust, yeah, some people might be there for sure. Some people will be there waiting, but some people have moved on and you left them. That's what it feels like. So I know this isn't about TikTok and all the things, but I've been on there and I'm on there all the time. And I just see these things. I'm like, you guys, we can do better. Like we can do better than this. So. And can you go into the story about Eric from Wendy's? Yeah. So back to when I was talking about, I'm really big on listening to my heart. So we, I don't normally go to Wendy's. Like I have not been to Wendy's. I couldn't even tell you, honestly, the last time I went, that's like how long it had been. But we were shopping over um, at a store and I was really hungry. And we saw Wendy's and I told my husband, I was like, you know what? When I was a little girl, I would always go, because I, lo- I used to love Wendy's. I mean, they're great now, but it's just not where I go all the time. So I was a little girl, I loved them. And me and my sisters would walk across the street. We would uh, get a chocolate frosty and French fries. And we would dip our fries in our frosty. And it was just the sweet, salty, right? Mm-hmm. We loved it. And I just kind of felt like reliving that. And so we go over there. And the person who takes our order is just so joyful. Like, not faking it, not, you know, putting a show on or even just extremely joyful where I perked up. I was like, Oh, like, that's not common. Like I love me some Chick-fil-A, but not even Chick-fil-A has employees like this. So I was shocked. Put our order in. I'm really curious at this point who this person is. We pull up and I'm kind of like seeing, you know, if I can see the person and the person who took our order also was standing there to take payment. Just as joyful, big personality, energy through the roof. And I did something so out of character. Like I am not, just to be clear, I am not the person who goes around in public recording people to show it on social media. Like that is just not, I don't think I've ever done that. But something told me, Tracy, you need to record him. And I'm like, yeah, nah, I'm not that weird person. I'm not going to, and then I ignored it, right? But then again, somebody's like, get your phone and record him. You need to share this with your friends on social media. Well, this was back in April. This was actually Good Friday. So I recorded him. It was about a 27 second video. And he knew I was recording him. And I told him, I just have to record you in all your joy. Because it was just so uncommon, right? 
so I recorded him that day. I put it on Facebook. It got like a hundred likes, a couple shares, you know, I don't know, a handful of comments. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's that added value. I'm all about adding value. That brightened somebody's day. I felt it on my heart that I needed to do it. I did it. And I remember thinking, well, I don't know the outcome of that. Like I didn't, I don't, I don't see, I did not see what that video did for someone. And but I was like, but I'm okay with that because I listened to my heart. We're not always going to know the outcome when we listen to our heart, right? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe that, I don't know what that, but that probably did something for somebody. Move on. Well, then come August. Yeah, it was August. So was that April, four months or so? Come August. And I was on, I was on TikTok. I just didn't share it there. I had this thought, you need to share that video on TikTok. And I'm like, okay, like, whatever, I'll, I'll share it. So I literally upload it late one night and then like literally go to bed and I just upload it and you see our interaction and I put I title it like choose joy and if this doesn't make you smile nothing will and I go to bed I wake up and the video hadn't gone viral yet but I had a lot of engagement a lot of likes a lot of shares and everybody was commenting you need to do the Venmo challenge for him now the Venmo challenge I believe like could be wrong. I believe it's something that Lexi lately started where she tips people a thousand dollars. And so I think it was still pretty early on. Not everybody was doing it. She was. And I think maybe I might've been a second person. Not, not a lot of people are doing it. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Cause I knew, I knew what Lexi was doing and I had heard about it and seen her videos and, and I just feedback, right? You got to listen to feedback. The feedback is my community wants to do the Venmo challenge. And it wasn't one or two people. It was like every single comment okay, if this is what y'all want to do, let's do it. So we started, I set it up, I'm doing all the things. And it, it still hadn't really taken off. I mean, the, the, the money was starting to come in. I was even shocked that even that people would even pay, you know, and, and donate. And I remember thinking, okay, if I could just raise $1,000, oh my gosh, like I might just do a little bit of this, right? I might just be like really proud of $1,000. And I just thought, how cool would that be? $1,000. Oh my gosh, from strangers. Well, day three, it really took off. Like videos started going viral because I kept going back and recording him and then loading it. And then I would go back and get, and I would buy a Frosty just so I could see he was there. And I would do a video saying he wasn't there, but I found out his name. And so I kind of took everyone on this journey. I would go back and then do this and go back and record him. And I had to set it up and behind, and he didn't have a TikTok. So he had no idea. And people are making comments like, well, what if he sees this? I'm like, y'all, he doesn't, he does not do social media. He does not have a TikTok. I promise he has no idea. So we're setting it all up. And for in one week, everyone donated a little over $41,000 to give to him. Not because he needed it. I mean, anyone could use 41 grand, right? But not because he had an illness, which there's a lot of, you know, stuff like that going on or anything like that. It was simply because of who he was. It was because of his joy. It was because of his happiness and his energy where people were just like, take my money. Right. And it was to the point where I was like, I had to tell people, stop donating. Like on the big check that I wrote him, it says 40 grand because I had to just put a number up there because people kept donating and it ended up being 41 and some change. And I was like, I literally was like, y'all, please stop. Like (laughs) we're done. It's over. Stop giving the money. But that's really, you know, 
that's Eric the Wendy's guy. That's kind of, you know, what we label them and everything. Gave him his money and uh, the franchise owners were here. They wanted to be there for it. They they want to work with him and see if he wants to grow within the company because they, they realize too what a rare gem he is, you know, and, and how he just lights up a room and makes people feel good and all this things. So that's really the story with Eric. It's amazing. So cool. Yeah. So what is something lighting you up right now? Oh, besides my room. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's, I've got, I've got so many things that I am doing right now, working on my speaking career, you know, everything that has happened over on TikTok. I know you, you had mentioned this earlier, like there are doors that have opened mm-hmm. and I didn't see them right away with the whole thing with Eric. Like I didn't see, I didn't see doors opening for me right away. And that was fine. You know, I, this wasn't about what was it going to do for me? Like I really wanted to do something for him instead of everyone else. So it took a little bit of time, right? But I'm at the point where doors are really starting to open and I'm on a new social media platform and they verified me. And, and so that's exciting. And it's called, you know, it's called kindly and it's all about kindness and positivity They have a, like a zero tolerance policy for any kind of hate or anything, which it's about time, right? Mm-hmm. The platforms say that, but I, I know kindly means that they have like a three strike and you're out kind of thing. They'll delete your account. And so I'm excited about that. And I'm working on merch, which should be coming out really soon. I actually have a business manager now who is helping me get brand deals. And so, you know, it's really interesting. I remember, I remember Eric said something to me that when he said it to me, I didn't see it. And I was like, well, that would be really nice. (laughs) You know what I mean? But he said, you know, and I don't remember word for word, but he pretty much said, everything that you have done for me is going to come back tenfold. And I hadn't seen it yet. And I was like, well, that's so sweet of you to, to think such positive thoughts, my sweet friend, because I don't know what you're talking about. Like I haven't, like it felt good, right? It felt good to do it for him, but it, but it hadn't come back tenfold. You know what I'm saying? But it's, it's, and that was just in August. So what are we in November? That was just a couple months ago that this all happened, but things are, are really starting to, to take off and you know I'm, I'm making I'm, I've got momentum and traction and you know it's actually really nice to be at a point where I tell people no I can't you know I used to do podcasts two or three times a week and now I might do it once a week maybe just a couple of times a month you know because I just it's I don't have as much time anymore but I'm just excited like I don't know where it's all gonna go and and that's okay because sometimes I feel like it's just exciting to wake up and oh there's an email or here's a new opportunity and and I just get to choose do I want to move forward does that align with me or do I feel like that's just not a good fit for me so it does it feels really good to be at that point where I can pick and choose I'm definitely seeing doors open but of course like it's not just all being handed I'm having to work I'm having to do behind the scenes stuff that a lot of people aren't aware of or don't know so I'm just excited about where it's all gonna go you know and what's something that keeps you grounded my, my husband, my family, because that's really important to me. With everything going on and all the opportunities that are now opening up for me, I know how maybe some people, it can go to their head, right? They can think their stuff don't stink, all the things. And it's important to me that I'm never that person. It's important to me that I remember where I came from, where I started, humble beginnings, all the things. And so my, I've actually... 
I have, if anything, ever since all this stuff started happening, I have probably clung on harder to all of just my, my value, like the foundation of, of, you know, what integrity and my character and just things that are really important to me. Whereas, yeah, they were important and I knew and I was aware, but when you go through something like what I'm going through and all this attention, all these things, you can either let that sway you one way, or I think people cling on to their foundation of principles and integrity and character and all these things are important to me even tighter. And that's what I've done. It's important to me that I am not a sellout, right? That I am not someone who thinks that, well, I'm at this level now and you know, I'm not, it's like, if I can help someone who is just starting out a podcast, just, I can't do it all the time. Right. Um, who is just starting out this or just starting out that I was just starting out at one point. And it's nice when someone with a little bit more experience or a bigger name or whatever gives you an opportunity or a tip or, you know, help. And so it's just important to me that I stay that way. Not that I, I don't change. I don't let it, I don't let all these opportunities change me in a in a bad way you know mm-hmm. but my husband he's really good at keeping me mm-hmm. husband and, and family and 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 just everything my foundation that I've built you know over 20 years just clinging to it more and how did you meet your husband mm. we met um about a year after chemo so when I was you know sick and I was I actually filed for a divorce when I was sick and going through a divorce at the same time that I was going through everything about a year after chemo, I met him at a church event and we started dating right away. And within four weeks, he proposed to me. And about three months later, we got married and we're going on almost 17 years of marriage. What was your first impression of him? You know, I think he was a dork. I will admit, he, I just remember thinking, you're such a dork. Like you're trying too hard. Like I ignored him. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, but I, and I had had a couple of interactions with him, but then there was this one interaction. Like I don't play games and, and he knows that like, I don't play games. I don't play the politics and things. I don't care. Like I don't do that. I do what I want to do. Right. I don't let that stuff get to me. And he was playing a game. He'll say, no, I really wasn't I'm like, yes, you were. Okay. He comes up to me and he's like, what's your name again? And I was like, Oh, well, my name is Tracy Ryan. I remember yours, you know, and I walked off because I'm like, I don't have time for this. I'm not playing your games. I mean, I was divorced, two little girls. I, I, I just, I wasn't going to play the, the cat and mouse thing, right? I didn't have time for that anymore. And so I think about that was when he kind of caught my eye was in with that interaction. And then it just, he asked me out on a date. Then that first date, like the first official date that we went out, I went home and I told my mom I was going to marry him. And he's still a dork. And I still think he's a nerd and a dork, but he's my nerd. He's my dork. And, and I love it about him. And what was it about him that you're like, I need to marry this guy? You know, I saw a lot in him that I craved. A lot of stability, security that I feel like I love my parents. I love my mom. But by the time I was like seven, my mom had been married four times. And that's, that's a lot for a little girl. And we moved around a lot. And so I, I think that I never had this sense of security, of stability and consistency and just in a lot of areas. And he just brought that to me. And I just clung to that. And I, I love that about him to this day. He worked so hard for our family. 
and he never complains about it. He doesn't act like or make me feel like it's a burden, you know, or, or any of the things. But he's, he's sweet and he's got, he's dorky. And I, and I do like that because I do think to, to some degree I'm a dork too and I'm a nerd in my own way. And I think we both are in our own ways. But he's just such a good person. He's, he's such a good guy, a good father. He's got, you know, pretty high standards and integrity and character and all those things that are important to me are important to him but I'd have to say that and he, you know of course I thought he was pretty freaking hot I remember he was such a humble person he's still humble he's just a little bit more confident I think or maybe I don't know I'll think about that but he is such a humble person that he actually lifted weight and I did not realize this to the point where he wanted to actually open up his own gym but he was so humble that like about his body and how fit he was I didn't even know he had muscle because he wore clothes that were a little baggy. Where, you know, most men who have muscle, but they kind of wear tighter stuff and you can see it. Not my man. He wore baggy clothes. I actually thought he was just a little on the thicker side. I'm like, yeah, I like my men thick. I like them big bubble butts, whatever. You know, it's okay. I'm not judging. And then we danced one time on the beach and we went to a bonfire. And I, I like, he asked me to dance and I touched his arm. And I was like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. That's like muscle. That's like all of this stuff and I remember telling him why are you not wearing like clothes that like are flattering that like show off your amazing your amazing body that you have and that's just not him that's not him he doesn't have the need to flaunt and show and even though I'm like I would have loved for you to do that (laughs) for you to flaunt all the things so there's just so many things about him I love and he's just so grounded and everyone who meets him sees it everyone who meets him you know, makes comments about what, what a great guy he is for, for different reasons. They see different things, but he is just such a good guy. And, you know, people will make comments like, does he have a single brother? Does he have like a single friend? And I'm like, oh, sorry, he doesn't. <laughs> sorry. You know, and, and so people, I see women get really discouraged and they're like, guys like that don't exist. I'm like, no, they do. They really do. But we need to make sure that we're the girl who, who that guy walks. You know what I mean? And that we're, we're in the right places that that type of guy would be at. So they definitely do exist. We as women just need to know our own worth. We need to hire our own standards. And then if you're going to have the checklist of the man that we want or you want, not me because I got mine, then we need to make sure, women need to make sure, have your checklist, fine, but be the woman that that man on your checklist is going to want, right? I don't know. He's a good guy. <laughs> and what is something that you're calling in right now? That I'm calling mm-hmm. in? Something you're manifesting. Oh, probably my speaking career. Now, I just want to be clear. When, when my, my definition of manifest is I do not believe, because I, I, I have the book, The Secret, and I watched a movie, and I was like, mm, something's missing here. I do not believe that I can just speak it into mm-hmm. existence and it's going to happen. I believe that's helpful. Mm-hmm for energy and all these things. And, and of course, when you're speaking it into existence, you're focusing on the things, but action. At, we have to take action to, to actually have the thing happen. And I, I, saw the, I saw that movie, The Secret, and I'm like, they're not talking about action. I haven't once heard to talk about action. It was just, you just speak it. And I'm like, mm, I don't believe it. I don't believe to that extent. But yeah, I believe if you do, if you do speak it and you do believe it, that we act a certain way and we're going to carry ourselves a certain way. And then we're going to take that action that is needed 
to manifest it into our lives. So right now I'm just really working on my speaking career and I'm working with, you know, a coach on, on taking it up a notch, taking it to the next level and, you know, working with having a business manager now, just, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, I don't have it all figured out. Like I might be doing something right now that down the road, I'm like, I just don't think I like that. But I feel like I'm in a place right now where I can kind of like, I don't know. And like, let's try that. Okay. I didn't like that. Let's not do that. Let's try this. Oh yeah. I really like that. Let's keep doing that. And sometimes I think as we get older, we stop doing that because we should have it all figured out or we should know. And I'm like, uh-uh. my husband often teases me. He's like, I'm like, I just don't know what I want to do anymore. He's like, oh, are we there again? Like, are we there where you don't know what you want to be when you grow up? I'm like, yep. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. So I'm really excited about working on that. And if you can go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what advice would you give her? To just keeping, just, just keep moving forward and knowing that everything will be okay. I think when I was younger, I was stressed out a lot. Um, I was a young mom, you know, four kids and I certainly didn't play enough just always stressed out and serious and had the walls up and in my head. I'm not going to say I, I wish I could go back and change things because I, I think our history and our past is what makes us who we are, but just keep moving forward. It's all going to work out. You're going to do great. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And where can people find you online? Oh my goodness, I'm everywhere. Um, I'm mainly on TikTok and Instagram. TikTok is just Tracy D. Farron. Instagram is Tracy Farron. Uh, my website, which I will be revamping really soon, is Tracy Farron. My email is hello at tracyfarron.com. I keep it pretty simple. I, I, keep, I keep it pretty simple. So they can find, I mean, usually if someone just Googles me, something will pop up and they can track me. But email or social media, or they can just go to my website and they can shoot me a message. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.